Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Neil Spielberg and I have been friends for 15 or 20 years, and I found out more about him today than I knew in all those years. He's led an amazing life in the entertainment business, with jobs ranging from Atari sales, to a circus life, to 20 years at Warner Brothers, to continuing his entrepreneurial life being a consultant and an artist manager. We spent a rainy Saturday morning just talking and laughing. I hope you enjoy my friend, Neil Spielberg. Neil Spielberg, welcome to Thinking and Drinking. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bart. Thank you for coming out here to Disgraceland. <laughs> On a beautiful day. <laughs> On a beautiful day. <laughs> you only had to dodge seven tornadoes to well, get Well, I here. started building an ark outside. <laughs> nice. I hope you don't mind. It's in the driveway. <laughs> Hopefully you use some of my trees yes. from the back. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So um, just uh, to be... Honest, I mean, you're from Philly, correct? I am a Philly boy. Do you like um, that? I, I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I live in Nashville. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, I've lived all over the country. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about <laughs> what took me all over the country <laughs> yes. in a minute. But, um, you know, I lived in Philly for 13 years. Um, nice Jewish boy that I am right after the bar mitzvah. We've... Like every good Jew in the Northeast, we moved to Florida. To Miami, yes. Moved to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to go to Miami. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, spent my junior and senior high school days there, uh, started a band. Um, what? Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> lead singer in a band, a cover band. And uh, What were they called? We, we didn't even have a name. We were just the band. Okay. Not that band. Not right. that the band. <laughs> yeah. But we were Levon just... Levon Helm was your drummer. Yeah, was, exactly. It was cool. Um, <laughs> and I had such a wild variety of tastes. I mean, we played uh, Santana covers. We played uh, uh, Hendrix. We played uh, um, Smoke on the Water, uh, Deep, Purple. Deep Purple. Holy cow. Uh, Sly and the Family Stone. And um, Were you good? Uh, we were adequate. Uh, we were good enough that the kids, uh, my, our contemporaries in school, yeah. all wanted us to play at all. Like, so the routine was during high school football uh, season, we would go to the game for the first half. And then at halftime, the band guys would leave. We'd all go down to Crandon Park in Miami, and they had these gazebos with power. And we'd spend that time setting up. So by the time the game was over over. and the gang came down, (coughs) we were all ready to go and played till you know, from like 1030 till one or two, or the cops came and threw us out. But that was fun. Oh, uh, that was a imagine. lot of fun. How many people would show up at that? Uh, a couple hundred. Man. You know, and, and it, it wasn't a paid gig. It was just yeah. we did it because we wanted to play music. And that Which, was the story of my life. You yeah. know, uh, luckily, I was smart enough to realize <laughs> I did not have the God-given talent to make a career out of playing music. But I knew I had to be in the music business. Yeah. And... Uh, Fortunately, I had family in the music business. I had an uncle who's 
my uh, was my one of my big mentors who uh, worked first for a guy, uh, a, a company called Tone Distributors in Miami. Tone was also the home of a little label that you'll know some of the artists on, uh, TK Records. Oh, yeah. And it was Casey and the Sunshine Band and George McRae and Gwen McRae and uh, Betty Wright, who did the Clean Up Woman. Um, that was her big hit. And, um, Gosh. you know, I was like work in the summers. I would work in the warehouse at Tone Distributors and pull records. And I was the guy next to me was Howard Casey from Casey and the Sunshine Band. And there were songwriters like Steve Alamo and all these other cats. And there was a uh, guy, Clarence Reed, who was better known for his what they called party tapes back then, which were track X-rated comedy things. (laughs) Clarence was known as Blowfly, who was one of the most famous of that era, Um, like with Red Fox and and those cats. Um, and I forget the woman's name who went on to be on the TV show with Red Fox. Uh, oh, I know who you're talking about. Wanda Page, I think was her name. Does that sound right? I don't know. Something like that. I know who you're meaning, though. Yeah. Um, anyway, so <laughs> Clarence was great. Really cool guy. And uh, he loved Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Okay. He would put them on anything. He we'd go to McDonald's for lunch, and bring you know bring them back to the to the warehouse. He'd put peanut butter cup on on his hamburger. He just loved Reese's peanut butter cups. Um, but I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But my uncle, who was uh, the sale, who then went from Tone to Wea, he helped Warner Alleger Atlantic mm-hmm. Wea start uh, their distribution company. He was their Florida sales manager. And uh, he worked out of uh, my dad's uh, eight-track specialty store in Miami called Man. Tapesville. And uh, I don't know, six months a year after they got started, they got an office, and we became the mega distributor of Warner Electric and Atlantic Records. And I just watched him work, and yeah. and, and uh, you know, I mean, here I'm 13, 14, 15, and he's going, yeah, well, I'm flying to Paris, uh, Atlantic Records, 40th anniversary, and they're flying us to Paris for for their birthday, and Man. they're going to have Phil Collins and this one and that one perform, and how can you not want to be in that business, you know? It was like... It's better than being in business with Blowfly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, Eventually went off to Arizona, University of Arizona, for college in Tucson, right. and uh, was a radio TV major, which is now mass com uh, major. Uh, almost flunked out my first year. Just I uh, went from Miami to Tucson, Arizona, and like, woohoo! I'm away from home. Yeah. It's <laughs> the, warm, but it's warm and dry. Yes, yeah. Uh, got off the plane, and it was 114 degrees on the tarmac. You still remember that? Yes. And I I remember, like, the air being sucked out of my body as I got off the, literally went from the plane to the top of the, they didn't even have those tunnels then. You right. would go the mobile steps down to the ground. Yeah. And um, got to my dorm and realized there was no air conditioning. And I'm like, this is great. 
It was broken or there no, was no? No air conditioner. And oh uh, this was, it was a former army barracks that was turned into a uh, <laughs> dorm. <laughs> and two of us in each room and so mm-hmm. on. And the first thing was, well, I'm going to Kmart or whatever it was at the time, right. maybe Sears, and yes. um, get myself one of those fans and uh, or uh, window units. And we stuck it in the window. I split it with my roommate. And uh, thank God we had air conditioning. Oh. And um, so you moved um, yourself cross country by by yourself. Well, I, after uh, you know, my parents, my family moved to Miami, and then yeah. I went out to University of Arizona on my right. own. On your own, okay. It was pretty incredible. Um, it's kind of gutsy. I got uh, you know, I um, a lot of the kids from Miami went to Florida, University right. of Florida, or Florida State, or somewhere like that. I applied there, and and as we, I got accepted into Ohio State, Florida. Arizona and Oklahoma, and I definitely didn't want to go cold again. So Ohio yeah. State was out. Um, I didn't want to go to college with all my high school friends. Not that I didn't like them, but sure, you want something different. Something I wanted new. something new and different. Yeah. And uh, so I, uh, my dad and I went out and saw University of Arizona, University of Oklahoma, and I said, all things being equal. I looked at the city and yeah. I went, I'm, I'm going to Tucson. <clears throat> yeah. Oklahoma, Norman, Oklahoma. I've been there. Yeah. It's, it's uh, very <clears throat> flat and a lot of tumbleweeds. <laughs> so <laughs> looking at where you ended up later, do you ever wonder why you didn't go to work for we at the time, like straight out of high school? Out of high school? No. I, had no, I was going to college. Yeah. I was, I think it was both. And I might have had moments where I went, what do I need college for? I'll just go to work for the music sure. business. My parents made it very clear they wanted okay. me to go to college. And, and, you know, it's like, okay. Uh, and they were willing to send me out there and, yeah. and so on. And uh, I, my, by my, you know, I came home from the first year, almost flunked out, got the speech. <laughs> we're not sending you out there and paying for this if you're, you know. Right. You can go to junior college for that right here in Miami. Exactly. Stay at league and live at home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I um, I went out there, and the second year, I like it clicked, and I got very active. Yeah, um, uh, did some. Uh, there was a, ra- a public radio station on campus called KUAT, and um, they were the NPR station. So oh, I okay. did uh, various programming for that. Um, as a matter of fact, I did a special <laughs> back in. 1976, maybe 75, 76 women in sports and how unequal things were. Mm. And that was many, many years ago before it was well known. Yeah. Um, did public, uh, what do they call the public entertainment stuff that they mm-hmm. were required to do. And, um, I got involved in the concert committee, um, the uh, people that do the Emmy Awards on TV or the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. I had a, a broadcast law professor that was on the Arizona uh, NAT, uh, NA, no, NA, whatever that is. Yeah. Television Arts at Natus. So um, I would go to Phoenix with him once a month. He invited me to go up and go to the professional meetings, which is really cool. Yeah, that. 
And I got motivated and started the first student chapter, at least in the Western U.S., and uh, at University of Arizona. Then I went and helped out uh, Arizona State, set theirs up, and uh, did a lot of cool things. I took I put together a trip for like 28 uh, broad, uh, uh, what do you call it, radio TV majors to go to L.A. and do tours of... Not just like the Universal Studios tour as we know it, yeah. but like a behind-the-scenes professional tour. Oh, that's cool. Uh, called uh, one of the big radio stations. I think it was KHJ or one of the big yeah. rocking stations in L.A. They let us come in and talk to us about, you know, it was just to explore what's out there for a radio TV major. Yeah. Um, so we did uh, a t- major TV station, uh, a couple of studios. We did a walking tour of Warner Brothers Studios. They didn't do commercial tours, as you know, but they gave wow. private tours. So I was able to uh, get in on that, and we went in. And the cool thing about this is we they walked us around, and they took us into a room where they do sync. Um, and there was an orchestra actually with film up on the screen, yes. and they were scoring uh, music to it, this new uh, science fiction film. And they said, well, we you can't really talk about it. This is 77, 76, 77. Turns out it was Star Wars. Star Wars, man. And we were in there watching. We saw like one three-minute scene that they were... Uh, right. John uh, didn't realize until just this John minute, Williams. That was John Williams. Holy cow. I didn't even think about that. It was just Al. <laughs> How crazy. Amazing, man. So John Williams up there, you know, doing the whole thing. <clears throat> And uh, it was great, and I I stayed in touch with people. I'm, I wasn't bashful. I'm still not bashful, but I would. <laughs> funny story. So this Natus chapter in Phoenix that my uh, teacher would take me to, um, there would always be a guest speaker at that mm-hmm. meeting. One time it was supposed to be uh, Bob Crane, I think was his name, uh-huh. Hogan from Hogan's Heroes. Yes. I don't know if you remember, he was brutally murdered. Yeah. He had a... Yeah, he had a deviant uh, life. A very secret life going on. Yeah. Well, he got murdered the night that before we were... He was supposed to be our guest speaker. Never showed up. And nobody knew, like, okay, well, I guess something happened. And then we all found out eventually what that was. Yeah. Another month, and this is one of my favorite people, Vic Tabak from Mel on, on oh, Alice yeah. was the guest speaker. And again, me being not so shy, <laughs> I went up. Uh, my, by the way, my nickname in college was Strawberry. Everybody knew me by Strawberry. <laughs> my friends, uh, athletes on the various teams, because I tutored some of the athletes. Um, my professors called me Strawberry. It's just I had a big Jufro, <laughs> big red Jufro. And um, by the way, everybody, I'm Jewish, so I can say that. Exactly. Um, I can use the J word. (laughs) And um, so I went up after the thing and introduced myself to Vic Tabak. And, uh, you know, he was like, well, Strawberry, you know, when you come out to L.A., come see me. We're on Studio 17 or whatever at Warner Brothers uh, lot. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. Well. I show up at Warner Brothers Studio about six months later, and I go up to the uh, security gate and say, I'm here to see Vic Tabak. And he said, well, who should I tell him this right. call? He said, tell him it's Strawberry. 
And I'm thinking, I'm going to get arrested. They're going to haul me off. And, he, uh, and the security guy's thinking, uh, is this Vic's dealer or something? Yeah, right. Strawberry? What is So uh, he calls up. He says, Mr. Tabak, I have a young man here from University of Arizona. And his name is, he says his name is Strawberry. Neil Spielberg, but he goes by Strawberry. He goes, Strawberry, send him back. <laughs> That's awesome. And I go back there uh, to the studio, and he lets me just hang out while they're rehearsing. And I told him what was going on. I had come to L.A. actually at that point to work for Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. A job was offered <laughs> between the time I left in December, because I did not finish in four years, four and a half. Mm. Um, I moved out to L.A. Uh, like end of December, 1st of January. I was supposed to start like January 15th, whatever. The business in 78 was horrible. Yeah. It was uh, just awful. And um, they said, oh, we're so sorry. We can't hire you. Uh, what do you excuse me? I, I moved here. I yes. Moved here. I have an apartment. I have uh, costs and bills. So, and um, sorry. So I put together a resume, which thankfully I did a lot of internships and, and yeah. was very active, like I said, with this organization. And I schlepped it around uh, uh, L.A., uh, every record label I could possibly go to, um, and nothing was happening. So Vic said, look, as long as you're out there hustling like that, you can come to the soundstage and hang and you know, be around people and not you know, sit in an apartment by yourself. Great. He could not have been nicer. That's amazing. Um, meanwhile, my uncle, who I mentioned earlier, Dave Benjamin, I would tell him, yeah, I'm hanging out with Vic Tabak. And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> a year or two later, he goes to L.A. on business of Warner Brothers Records thing, and they take them on a tour of Warner Brothers Studios. Don't you know, one of the stops on the tour was going in to watch a rehearsal of Alice. And the cast was very nice to them because they were VIPs. Yeah. He says, um, hey, Vic, i got to ask you a question. My nephew's been saying... <laughs> That he knows you and he's friends with you. And he goes, well, what's your nephew's name? He goes, Neil Spielberg. He says, Strawberry is your nephew. <laughs> and my uncle just couldn't wait to call me and go, I'm so sorry for doubting you. <laughs> but it was like, you know Strawberry? Uh, it was fun. Uh, anyway, uh, this leads into the next chapter of my life. Yes, that's what I wanted to get so, to. So while I was at a radio station in Tucson, <laughs> Uh, starting as an intern in sales, I, my next wonderful mentor, Nancy Reynolds, who uh, she was the sales manager at KTKT AM, uh, owned by Lotus Communications, Howard Kalmanson. And uh, it's just crazy. But yeah. um, anyway, one of the clients of the radio station was Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey. When they would come in, the promoter, the marketing guy would set up promotions, do time buys, whatever. And my boss was all my my boss, my mentor was always great about promoting me or any other intern that she really thought had a future. Yeah. And I became friends with this guy and he actually offered me the job right out of college. And I said, Circus, I'm not running away with no circus. You know? Um <laughs> so here I was in LA six months without a job and I wasn't gonna ask my parents to keep, you know, funding my time out there. So I called him up. Says any chance that you know that still off, that offer still viable? He says, as a matter of fact, we just bought Ice Follies and Holiday and Ice, so uh, we need promoters. We need uh, marketing guys. 
sure. Uh, when can you start? I said, tomorrow, tonight, whatever. <laughs> he says, well, that's perfect. We're leaving tomorrow morning for the Bahamas for a uh, training session for our new promoters. I said, tell me where. To... He says, there'll be a ticket waiting for you at LAX. And that began my career at the circus. Um, so we spent a week in the Bahamas and they gave you a three ring binder. And, you know, at 18 weeks out, you do this. And at 17 weeks out, you do that. And all the way down to show days and so on. And, and it's, it's like marketing by the numbers. And then they depended on you to add your creativity to, right. to that. But they taught you how to promote, which is something I, I find fascinating. The music business doesn't do that. Oh. They they throw you in the deep end and hope yeah. that you swim, and um, some you know great people have come out of that. Yeah. But um, I just thought that was pretty remarkable that that's how they initially taught you how to, it was okay. Eighteen weeks, you go to the venue and make sure the contract's all done, and you you do this and you do that and order the tickets. And and back when I was there, it was still hard tickets. It oh wasn't yeah. All. Uh, well, you still picked up a Ticketron ticket at, at the airport, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, Ticketron, uh, yeah. Yeah, Ticketron was was uh, the first computer ticket I remember at the mm. uh, Forum. I had, And I was fortunate. I had the Forum. I had Anna, uh, My first show was Tucson. They gave me Tucson because I knew the market yeah. so well. And uh, then I got uh, the Forum in L.A., Anaheim, Long Beach. And then they started moving us all over the place. So I was in like Evansville, Indiana, which was actually a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Um, not so much fun. Uh, Midland, Texas. <laughs> uh, Midland and Lubbock. Lubbock was cool. Mm-hmm. And I was there in 1980 because I remember sitting in my hotel room at, in the middle of the night or mor- early morning watching the U.S. hockey team. Oh, man. Uh, the Miracle on Ice. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. And... Um, um, I think my last gig was in Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, as quick as... Ring- oh, by the way, Ringling had sold the company to um, uh, Mattel Toys. Really? And they owned it probably a, c- a couple years at most. Okay. And then they bought it back. Uh, Felt, Mr. Feld bought it back from uh, Mattel. And they uh, reduced the marketing staff. Okay. And I was like, not last. I was one of several that were uh, terminated, uh, you know, last in, first out kind of thing. Have you ever been to the Sarasota? I have. Training grounds and stuff? Yeah. I have. Um, well, I, uh, Venice was actually where the okay. headquarters was. And then Sarasota is uh, where the Ringling Museum is. Okay. And actually, I don't know if I mentioned this to you uh, before, but um, this February, um, I am going to be part of a large group of uh, Ringling marketing people that are being inducted into the Ringling Ring of Fame. Holy cow. I'm very excited about That's that. That's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah, it's like our Hall of Fame. Yeah. And um, uh, we're going to do a uh, weekend reunion, and that, that'll that be part of it. So man. I'm really looking forward to that. That's amazing. Yeah. So do you have any uh, any fun stories or anything about uh, the circus? <laughs> anybody? Which ones would you like me to tell? I want to hear about the Tigers. <laughs> so um, we're in Anaheim. <laughs> 1980-ish, 
maybe 80, 81. And um, the star of the red show, we had a red show and a blue show. And the star of the red show was the famous Gunther Gable Williams, very handsome, blonde-haired guy who did the um, both the um, tigers and the elephants. And uh, I would traditionally come in in the morning early, like 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, and we I would go to the box office and settle the show from the night before uh, if we didn't get it done that night. Anyway, I would always stop by uh, as I would walk from, you know, you'd park in the back, walk through the arena, and it's all set up because you were there for a multi-show run. Yeah. And Gunther was usually up early and working with his cats in the cage, teaching them new routines. Um, the one thing Gunther told me that always stuck with me, he says, always remember, these animals are trained. They're not tame. Yeah. Just never, never forget that. <laughs> and obviously I haven't <laughs> 50, 40, 50 years ago. Um and uh, I would stop uh, each morning and, and put my briefcase down and, and ask Gunther if he had names to for me to put up tickets at Will Call. And, of course, he always did. He he was loved by everybody. Yeah. So while I'm standing there, uh, two of his uh, handlers came up behind me and grabbed me and put me in the cage with him with three of his Bengal tigers. <laughs> And uh, all I'm going to say is I'm glad I was wearing brown (laughs) pants that day. Um, So he says, come here and hold their leashes. I'm like, "Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) He said, just don't make any sudden moves. Don't look them dead in the eye. But hold their leashes. They're just big cats. I said, Gunther, I don't like little cats. I'm allergic. Right. (laughs) And he said, just hold them. So I'm standing there holding two leashes the third cat is a few feet behind me on one of those metal tubs. And um, he says, I'll be right back. I said, excuse me? What do you mean I'll be right back? Right. I didn't say it quite this calm. Yes. And uh, <laughs> he walked out of the cage, left me standing there. He said, don't make any sudden moves. I said, not a problem. Yeah. Like, uh, what did you think? I was going to punch him in the nose. <laughs> yeah. And he, he went over to my briefcase because he knew. Now, keep in mind, this is 1980-ish. And uh, there were no cell phones or you know, yeah. mobile phone with a camera. I had my old Instamatic just in case there was a celebrity at the show. Sure. And we needed to take a press photo of Gunther with some actor or singer or whatever. And he went to my bag, took out my camera and turned around and took a picture of me uh, with the ca- holding the leashes on the cats. Yeah. And I said, Gunther, why are they licking their chops like they want to eat me? Yeah. He says, well... He says, remember, I'm Jewish. I mean, he says, I'm German and you're Jewish. I said, that's <laughs> not funny, Gunther. Uh, Gun- uh, lo- uh, I loved working with him. He was he was a thrill to work with and just the nicest man. Um, but he had a, you know, kind of warped sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> Thought that was funny. Um, on another time with him, we went, um, we got a call that... Um, the Carson show, Tonight Show, yeah. wanted Gunther on the show. And we were uh, always in L.A. at the Forum. We were there for three weeks. And so we had one night off, and it was always Monday was our dark <sighs> night. Especially since we play like five or six shows on Saturday and Sunday combined. Oh my so gosh. like they got Monday off. It was a day for the 
both the performers and the animals, the two-legged yeah. animals and the four-legged animals, <laughs> yeah. to go out and uh, relax and have a good day. Um, so he said, I need you to find me a, um, a moving van, but a low rider, because the, the ele- they were going to take an elephant, and the elephant can't raise yeah. their leg up that high. So we uh, and and they would break a ramp, so we couldn't do that. So we got a low yeah. rider, um, but they also wanted a white tiger. And tigers and elephants, in case you don't know, not best friends. Not best friends. <laughs> so what we had to do, we got a forklift, took the cage with the white tiger, and put them all the way at the front of the trailer, on the ledge, and then. We backed the elephant up into the cab so they weren't facing each other. Right. And we had to leave the back of the trailer open. And you know what a thrill it is going up the San Diego, the 405 <laughs> from uh, Inglewood to the 10, up the 405 to the 134 over to NBC. Man. And uh, uh, he had two guys holding the, uh, working with the elephant in the van. Yeah. They were going maybe 20 miles an hour at tops. And uh, Gunther and I were in the car behind them trailing, you know, up the freeway. So that was experience. And actually for me, it was a thrill because as much as I wanted to meet Carson that night, Sammy Davis Jr. was the guest host. Oh, man. Carson used to not work on work Monday on Mondays, nights yeah. at a certain period of time. And um, so I got to meet one of my uh, entertainment heroes. Did he look at you and go like, "I'm keeping an eye on you" or anything? Sorry, bad joke. No, but he, yeah, you stole my line. I, was, <laughs> I say, you know, I know you're coming. Sorry. I'll keep an eye out for you. <laughs> oh man, but um, so uh, so how did you get from all of that to where I met you, Warner Brothers Nashville? Okay, so I left the circus in '82 ish. So I was there three, three and a half years. And um, I was living in Clearwater, Florida. And uh, after that Jacksonville date, and I'm trying to... Oh, so um, home video was just starting to become a thing. And there was a company out of, based in Chicago called Sound Video Unlimited. And they were a video distributor. And they sold mm-hmm. beta and VHS nice. movies. And um, I knew somebody in the business, and they said, we're looking for a sales rep to cover all of Florida except Miami, West Palm. So, like, you had the whole state, including the Panhandle. And I said, well, I'm living in Clearwater. That'd be great. I've got to make a route. Yeah. Anyway, so I was, I mean, at the very beginning of it. So you were selling to, there were no chains. It was all mom and pop video store owners that were renting their their movies for five dollars a night or ten dollars you know whatever it was yeah and uh the company i worked for was a distributor wholesaler so uh they had a they had branches all over and my branch was in miami and i worked out like i said the whole state so i would just drive all over florida and uh they a lot of it it was so early that a lot of it was Hey, Neil, um, there's a store opening up in uh, Jacksonville or in uh, uh, Ocala. Mm-hmm. Go see Betty and her husband, and they're going to order maybe 50 movies from you. And that's how you could open a video store back then. Man. And then 
it wasn't a few months, then you had to have 100 to be competitive. Then yeah. it became 200, and it grew exponentially very quick. And the studios, some of them had their own uh, sales, uh, right. sales team. Yeah, yeah. Some of them went didn't even have it and were going through a third party. Eventually, all the big studios had their own staffs. And uh, while I was at this company, Sound Video, they also had video games, Atari, uh, Mattel had something called Intellivision. I don't even remember Which that. I was in a, a, they had a great baseball game on Intellivision. <laughs> and there were a bunch of guys in the music industry that we all got into a, like a league and started playing competitive Mattel really? Intellivision. Uh, there was also, there was another unit, but I can't remember. So through Atari, follow the, follow the money. Yes. Warner uh, buys Atari okay. in early 82. And starts distributing. I think they distributed it and they bought it and whatever. And they were looking for salesmen uh, for Atari. And I'm like, I'll yes. do it. Hello. I'll do it. And uh, I had a choice of being in Miami, which I would have been working with my uncle, although right. he was doing music, so I wouldn't have worked for him, but with him, which would have been cool. He was nice enough to say to me, you'll be better suited for a long-term career opportunities if you go to the branch in Atlanta, not just the right. sales office. Yeah. Sure enough, I took his advice. I moved to Atlanta and I became the Southeast sales rep for Atari. So I would go and we were relegated to just the um, record chains. They okay. already had uh, a rep firm putting it in Toys R Us and stuff like that. Right. So I was going to Turtles Records in Atlanta, oh, yeah. uh, Record Bar uh, based in um, uh, Durham, North Carolina, yeah. and uh, Waxworks up in Owensboro, Kentucky, and so yeah. on. And I was the guy. So I would drive up to Nashville to call on Central South and stuff like that. Oh, man. I forgot about Nine, Central South. Ten months later in December... I started it. I started June first, and by December, Atari went to hell in a handbag. <laughs> what had happened was they got very uh, cocky, and some yeah. of their best people went on to start third-party, uh, like Activision and various oh, other man. companies that made cartridges for Atari. Yeah, and they just went down the toilet. So Warner sells Atari. And now I'm sitting there once again going, okay, okay. I, got, I finally got into Warner. But, <laughs> and luckily the branch manager, which goes back to my uncle being smart, he goes, that wouldn't have happened if you weren't here. Right. I didn't see you. Yeah. He offered me the, rec the music jo sales job. They weren't pleased with the Nashville rep that they had and asked me to move to Nashville. Now, again, I'm from Philly, Miami, and L.A., basically. Yeah. I'm moving where? Nashville. And uh, I'm like, <laughs> are there any other Jewish people in Nashville? Right. And do, instead of a car allowance, am I going to get a horse allowance up there? You know, I made all the jokes. Right. And I said, do I have any other options? He goes, yes, unemployment. I says, I'm your guy. Yep. When do I get? Love when, Nashville. When can I move? <laughs> uh, July 3rd, 83. Moved to Nashville. Man. Uh, moved to Antioch. Okay. A uh, place called Nashboro Village. Yep. It had a golf course. I wasn't a golfer, but it had a golf course. And it was... Looked like a nice place. <laughs> 650 square feet of sprawling space. <laughs> you had to go to the hallway to change your mind. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one bedroom. And um, 
so uh, I met a couple of other people in town that were Jewish, and they said, you've got to go meet Helen Farmer at the CMA. Okay. She was the number two lady. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I remember her. I'm on the, the head lady. She was amazing, but I can't <sighs> remember her name right now. Uh, Joe Walker met Joe her. Joe Walker met her. And she was Joe Walker's right hand. So I go in there. She had a very real thick southern accent. I said, Helen, everybody in town told me I need to come see you. You're going to be my Yiddish mama. And she said, honey, where are you living at? I said, I'm over in Antioch. She said, honey, how people don't live over there? I said, where do we live? She said, you need to move over on the west side of town with the rest of us. I said, okay. So I eventually moved over to the west side of town, and I've been there ever since. But she she was so sweet. And... Uh, um, uh, so I was, I was the WIA music sales rep. I called on Owensboro, uh, Waxworks. I called yep. on Central South here, uh, big retail in town, Cats, uh, which Love was part Cats. of Music City Distributors. And they, basically they taught me how to sell while I was there. Who was the guy at Central South? Was it Hayes? Carl- no, he was at Music City. Music City. Hayes, Carlock? Uh, JP, uh, that was the Carlock family. Yeah, okay. And, uh, yes, Bruce. Yes. And Hayes. And uh, their dad was still there when I was uh, first got there. Man. Sweetheart of a guy. Yeah. Um, and um, Waxworks was up in Owensboro. It was about two and a half hours up almost to Evansville, Indiana. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I learned how to sell music. I, I knew how to sell. I just didn't know how to sell music yet. And, right. And um, the accounts helped teach me how to, you know. How to sell and it went great. I was doing it for about a year and a half. A couple of people took notice, in particular Nick Hunter, Love uh, Nick the Stick Hunter, who God I missed bless terribly. Um, and he was my next big mentor. Mm, um, yeah. And he, uh, we became friends. He was a big baseball fan. I, I was too, not nearly to the level he is, but uh, we kind of connected and um, on a computer baseball game again. Uh, not Mattel, but something else. Uh, oh, our Commodore 64 computers nice. at that point. And uh, he said, uh, "You should. we need a Nashville sales guy. We have this wonderful guy out in L.A. named Vic Ferracci who became almost like a dad to me and mm. uh, really taught me a lot about the music business. But uh, Nick's the one that, that kind of started that ball to yeah. roll. So um, I went from WIA in whatever that was, 80, June of 82, to Warner, uh, January of 85, along with Bob Saparidi. We started oh, the same man. day. And he, I was uh, sales coordinator. Bob was a promotion guy. Yeah. And um, we uh, just kind of grew up together. I think there were maybe 15 people at the office at that point. Yeah. Uh, working for Warner, so you did a little bit of everything. Um, we we were in an old uh, three story house called. Uh, uh, it was formerly the Florence Crittenden Home for Unwed Mothers, and they took this place yeah. and and you know redecorated it and you know redesigned the whole thing, but uh, turned all the uh, bedrooms into offices, and uh, it was a great place to work. I, I worked for the legendary Jimmy Bowen for a little while, oh, man, and then Jim Ed Norman. Uh, became the head of the company when Bowen went over to MCA. And um, I just found out last night that Jim Ed, Richard Bowden, and Don Henley are all cousins. 
Um, I don't know if they're cousins. I know That's they were all was, in a little band together called Shiloh. That's, I did was you know told, that? I did not know that. And do you know who produced that Shiloh record? No. <laughs> Kenny Rogers. Really? Who Jim Ed went on to produce many years later at Warner, or Reprise, technically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, but I was told last night that those three guys were cousins or... Jim Ed was cousins with Richard, but also with... It's it's possible. Uh, yeah, I don't I know. know that for a fact, but I'll take your word for it. All right. I'll ask Jim Ed when I see him. Okay. Um, it's just up the road. <laughs> we, um, so, yeah, I, was, I worked for... I reported directly to Vic Ferracci out in L.A. He wasn't going to move to Nashville, and they wanted somebody in Nashville to be there to be in touch with, yeah. you know, because Vic had never done country, nor had I for that matter. So here you have your, your Italian guy and your Jewish guy, right. and we're doing the country stuff, right? And then on top of the country stuff, because Jim Ed was a big believer in you find great talent and we'll find an audience for it. Yeah. So we, we started, a, started a new division. We started several divisions. We started, uh, we ended up calling it Progressive Music Department because that's the only thing we could come up with. We didn't want to call it alternative because that spoke to the genre, right. a genre. So he signed Take Six, and he signed Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, and he signed Moro O'Connell, and he signed, oh, man. you ready for this? A Tuvan throat singer by the name of Kangarol Andar. Of course. And, and for those of you who don't know what a Tuvan throat <laughs> singer is, there's a small country in uh, just below Mongolia called Tuva. And these uh, people there uh, can sing. Normally when a person sings, they sing one note at a time. Yeah. They can, uh, um, uh, they can create three, and some can even create four tones at one time. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So Jamed had this vision of taking this Eastern style of music and combining it with a Western uh, thing, and sorry, it, and it, it it was magical. Um, the most amazing thing was seeing Congarol come out on stage at Fanfare back at the fairgrounds. <sighs> If you can imagine the people that used to come through that. Oh, little, yeah, uh, taking in pictures. Front, yeah. And all of a sudden they go, what the hell is that? Because <laughs> he, he would dress in, in like, he looked like Genghis Khan on stage. You so know, his traditional. Traditional silks dress, and, yeah. and the pointed shoes and the whole thing. And uh, I was like, what the hell is that? Is that Mo Bandy? Yeah, right. That's not what I thought he'd look <laughs> is that like. that Mo or Joe? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then he was on Letterman one night, and it was really cool. But that's what Jimmy was about, yeah. finding amazing talent, and then we'd find a way to make it. And, you know, Take Six uh, had a, a platinum Holy record. Cow. Yeah, uh, Quincy Jones was, like, all over them, using them for everything. Yeah. Stevie Wonder and so on. Um, and then we also had... Uh, Their Christmas album is still one of my favorite Christmas albums. Take Six? Of, yeah, oh, it's amazing. Of all time. It's just um, unbelievable. Jim Ed was also longtime friends with uh, Michael Martin Murphy. Yeah. Uh, from everybody knows Wildfire, yeah. basically. Well, Murph had, Murph had morphed <laughs> into a more Western sound, like yeah. traditional cowboy music. And he had this festival going on with a guy named Bob Burwell, his manager oh, yeah. uh, from Halsey. And they created, uh, <clears throat> uh, oh, what was it called? Um, 
oh my God, I can't remember the name of the festival all of a sudden. But it was a Western music uh, heritage festival. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cowboy poets and, and uh, a Back wonderful artist and named Bill Miller. Oh, yeah. Native oh, American yeah. artist. Yep. Was part of the label. So we created this label called Warner Western. Man, I totally forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. And it was amazing. Uh, as a matter of fact, the business manager, one of the best business managers in town, uh, Kerry O'Neill from O'Neill Hackerman mm-hmm. was the partner in Warner Western. And we slogged it out, but we, I have a gold record on Michael Martin Murphy's Cowboy Songs, the, the first one. And there was no air, very little airplay of, of any yeah. substance. It yeah. wasn't a hit-driven project, but we were doing like specialty stuff all over the place. Uh, heritage, Western Heritage Museums and uh, uh, state parks, gift shops, and all, you know, yeah. we really had to find the audience for it. But once we did, and we would advertise like an American horseman rather than, you know, country right. America or whatever yeah. it was. So, uh, you know, those are the records that to me were some, uh, and I love our country roster and had a lot of success and they paid the bills. But those records that you really have to dig in and oh man, and find. Your audience. Use uh, your imagination. Yeah. Yeah. And because of my, uh, you'll laugh, but because of my circus background, marketing background, it, you know, I use some of those basic tools to apply them here. Yeah. Golly. So that was a lot of fun. What, uh, I know we always talk these kind of conversations always without mentioning any names. (laughs) Like, uh, what made the worst artist you work with? The worst artist. I mean, what would they do? Um, hmm. Without mentioning names. Okay. So. <laughs> well, I mean, you can. No, I'm me. not. You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I call them my, my challenge children. Yeah. <laughs> my challenge artists. The ones that, uh, and I'll use this particular artist, manager's. Uh, phrase <laughs> after he was knocked out of it mm-hmm. he said it's a shame that this artist going unnamed just couldn't enjoy the ride and smell the roses you know just Man. everything was so intense to the point of just it's like nobody enjoyed anything yeah if you're not enjoying the ride don't don't get in the car yeah. you know it's like why would you do this if you can't enjoy it? Uh, it's not going to be roses every day. Yeah. We all go through, you know, shit days. Can yeah. I say shit on here? Absolutely. As many times as <laughs> you We all want. go through days where you just go, oh, God, let it be over. Let it be over. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot more great days than uh, that oh, make the, the tough days. Especially back then when we were doing this. Yeah. I mean, I always, I mean... Like I was telling you at breakfast the other day, I worked with an act. If I can just get a record deal, I'll be happy. They got a record deal. They weren't happy. If I can just get a, a hit record, I'll be happy. Yeah. They got a hit record. They weren't happy. Yeah. If I can yeah. just get a big tour, I'll be happy. They got a big tour. Yeah. They weren't happy. It's like, you know what? You're just not yeah. going to be happy. Well, I don't this, know what you this want. This particular artist. And now, the, the, I, look, I consider myself very fortunate. You know, I, I've never actually counted up at, all the numbers of artists I've worked with, because it's not about numbers, about the individuals. It's a bunch. But it's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. At least two, three hundred over yeah. the years. 
40 years now, you know, and uh, this one particular artist will be my all-time challenge child. And he keeps shooting himself in the foot. He yeah. finds ways to piss people off or whatever. Uh, and the, the saddest part for me was I thought he was one of the best artists on the label. Yeah. Um, and I did a lot with him before people knew who he was. Uh, not, I'm not saying I'm the, the, the reason he was sure. successful. I'm just saying we all did a lot of things for yeah. him. But um, um, we started this thing at Warner where, before other labels, by the way, um, where uh, <laughs> if we had a new artist up on deck, they were on the runway, so to speak. And we knew we were launching you know, in the next year, and there was already some heat, I would take them to the Grammys or to the CMAs and let them see it as a consumer yeah. before they had to be there in the thick of it. Mm, so you get a feel for it. Yeah. Go to the parties, go to the you know show, see, you know, listen to what the artists say when they get up on stage. Yeah. And um, watch them perform in front of their peers. And experience that from here before you've got the pressure of, you know. Doing it. Yeah. And, yeah, I think I'll stop there because I'll give it away otherwise. <laughs> anyway, um, and it's just a shame that they, you know, <clears throat> the again, this was going back a few years, but, before, you know, when it was still all about, we'll call it CDs at the yeah. time. Um, there was never enough CDs in, in a in the bin for this artist. Yeah, um, and what you try to explain to them, especially when it was absolutely true, well, that's because you're selling more than the yeah. other artists, and uh, we should have such a problem that we are having a hard time keep you in stock. Yeah. Um, but <coughs> excuse me. But it would you know it was just there was always something that was not making him happy. Yeah. Um, on the other side of that, <laughs> you know, you've got um, wonderful artists that were appreciative of everything you did for oh, them. And, and I'm talking about the most successful ones as yeah. well as the newer ones. Um, I'm not going to generalize about artists. Like I said, everyone is different and, and unique and special. Some are just more special than others. Um, but like I said, I, I can point to one in all my time that w made my life miserable. Yeah. Uh, the, and, or made his own life miserable, really. Um, I I'm consider myself pretty lucky. Man. That's a good, that's a good percentage. That's a good, good, yeah. yeah. So what have you been doing since Warner Brothers? Well, um, in 2001, um, a gentleman, uh, there was a changeover at the top at Warner, yeah. the whole Warner Music Group, and they realigned things. They didn't feel, we had five, again, thanks to Jim Ed, we had, Jim Ed Norman, we had five different uh, label imprints in Nashville under the Warner, ba WIA banner, Warner yeah. Music Group banner. Warner Electra, which was Asylum here, Atlantic had a division, uh, Giant opened up, Irving yeah. Azoff opened up an office here. And uh, Curb, which was not owned by Warner, but distributed by. So uh, they decided in 2001, uh, with new regime at the top, that you don't need five different, you don't need a sales, head of sales at every label. Oh, right. Get rid of all of them. 
<laughs> and right. either take one and make them head of sales for all five or just hire somebody else. I'm at a convention in Orlando for the uh, NARM convention, yep. now called Music Biz. I get a tap on the shoulder from the head of WIA. Um, I'm thinking that I'm walking into the into this meeting uh, prior to the convention starting to hear the whole new WIA organization, what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And I get a tap on the shoulder. Um, actually, I was still at Warner. I was going to hear what WIA was going to be doing. Okay. And uh, we need to see you for a minute. And I, this is around April. So I'm thinking, hmm, April, the head of WIA, he probably wants to know what we're doing for Fanfare in June for the accounts and whatever. Um, I hate to break this to you here, but your job has just been terminated at Warner. And before I could exhale, he says, but we want you to be our head of sales for all the country labels. I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> exhale. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I go meet with the top three guys at we and they explain what's going on. And um, it's like, that's great. So now uh, I'm no longer at Warner, but I'm still in the organization. I'm handling five label sales. That sounded great. Um, it didn't exactly work out that way. Mm-hmm. And uh, within two years, uh, there was a whole new regime. The guy that tapped me on the shoulder was having some health issues. He retired. Uh, they brought in the guy who came in at the very top of the music group, um, whose name I can't remember, was uh, re- more recently a Polygram uh, oh, company. Okay. Well, he brought all his Polygram buddies with him over to run WIA, close it down in L.A., move it to New York, and it was a whole bunch of different people. And I just, yeah. you know, I was uh, one of the many. Yeah. <laughs> they downsized the company about, and, and keep in mind, this was in a time where um, illegal downloading was rampant. Oh, you know, man. The, the uh, Napster yeah. whole thing, and Morpheus, I think, was the other big one. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, people were losing jobs left and right, so it wasn't, you know, personal by any means, but... You know, I've been downsized and restructured. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when you're at a company for 21 years. Man. And all of a sudden, it's like a divorce. Yeah. You know, not that I know what that's like, but it's, you know, what do you mean you don't love me anymore? Right. You know, that kind of thing. And um, so I left. I had some time on my contract. I decided that I was going to take 30 days and just enjoy life See and what's out there. not work for a while. Got in my car, told my family, I love you, but I've got to go debrief, you know, like clear my head. Yeah. Uh, drove to Miami to see my Uncle Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, drove to Clearwater to see my sister. Uh, circled the whole state of Florida, went to Cape Canaveral, Cape Kennedy, whatever, and uh, checked that out. I'd always wanted to go there. <laughs> Came back home and said, uh, I'm not ready to settle. I, I'm going to Chicago to see some Cubs games. I had a nice. friend that worked for the Cubs. And... Um, while I was in Chicago, uh, I woke up one morning and go, wait, the Field of Dreams isn't that far from here. From oh, the movie. Yeah. It was three hours due east, uh, due west in Dyersville, Iowa. Yep. I figured, I'm going to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to drive to Dyersville. And I did. <laughs> and I was really pissed off when I got there because there was no corn. It was April. Uh, I didn't think about that. So I asked the lady, what gives? Where's the corn? What the hell? <laughs> You're not a farmer, are you? Yeah, no, I'm not no, a farmer. No, I'm, I'm a, a farmer. city boy. <laughs> and she goes, son, it's knee high by July, generally. I was like, okay, I'll be back. I'll be back. 
And um, uh, anyway, I, that was, but it was a great experience. So I drive out there, and you know, the field, just like you see it in the movie. Yeah. And they have you know, like this little mini grandstand on the on both both sides, and I'm sitting there just looking at it and just admiring the whole thing. Yeah. There's a little uh, gift shop, and I wish I still had it, but uh, they were, they were selling these T-shirts that were heat sensitive. So if you like got if you're sweating or whatever, all of a sudden the the guys come out of the corn on the shirt. <laughs> so all you see is like the field of dreams and then if it starts to get real warm, the the ball players like show up on your shirt. Oh, it's pretty that's bizarre. So great. But I don't know where that shirt is anymore. Anyway, um, so I come back to Nashville and I'm driving back and I get a call from a, uh, an old friend at Handelman Company. Yes. He says, Neil, um really sorry to hear about Warner, but um you know who um, Bill Gaither is? I said, yeah, uh, the king of Southern Gospel. Absolutely. said, he needs a head of sales for his company. I said, well, hell, that sounds great. I guess I shouldn't have said hell. I was um, <laughs> so he introduces, whoops, he introduces me to his uh, son-in-law who was running the company. Mm-hmm. And it was a long courtship, meaning like four or five months. And they finally, uh, after several meetings, I go to near Indianapolis, I forget the name of the town where he's based, mm-hmm. and I meet them all, and, and uh, very old school, and they slide a piece of paper across the table and give me the number that they're going to offer right. me, and I was, I was pre-warned by somebody who used to work for Bill, said, Neil, it's going to be low. It's going to be real low. <laughs> um, so I look at the number, and okay, I said, and it was a Friday, they flew me up on a little private plane, it was very small. And um, I said, uh, let me think about it over the weekend, and I'll get back to you Monday. He says, that's fine. So uh, I had an attorney at the time that I no longer work with. But anyway, um, we were still using fax machines back then. So uh, we faxed them back like a counter offer, you know, somewhere in between where I was and this. Yeah. And uh, not only did they reject that, but they said, a uh, deal is no longer on the table. And we both looked at each other. And it was All like, right. Uh, uh, what? <laughs> Never seen anything like that. That's not a negotiation. That's no. just, you know. So kind of went home like, ooh, okay. <laughs> Next morning. Oh, I got to add this part. Bill Gaither said something that was priceless. When I, uh, I said, by the way, you do know that I'm Jewish, right? You know, here's the king of Southern gospel. He right. goes, son. Money's green, no matter what, no matter what religion you are. <laughs> and I thought that was so cool. It's I said, true. I, li- I like you. Um, the next day, here I am, crushed that this opportunity is yeah. gone. Even you know, though I wasn't going to take it at that money. But uh, a buddy, of my Walt Wilson, who used to be oh, at MCA, yeah. called and said, "Hey, Neil, we could use some help. Um, we've got Merle Haggard's." A new album at a small distributor he was working at. I can't remember the name. And uh, would you help us with that? I'm like, yeah, sure. That's what I did at Warner. So I put together the marketing plan, uh, publicity with, um, oh my God, I'm brain farting on this, her name. I just adore her. Great publicist. She works with the IBMA, uh, Bluegrass Music Now. Oh, okay. Anyway, she did a fabulous job. And we, I, I took the, I, 
uh, murals. People called and said, yeah, I would love to do this. And that started Spielberg Consulting. So I came home and I said to my wife, I said, I think we may have a new business here. Yeah. And then Clint Black opened up uh, Equity. Equity, And yeah. Neil McCoy started an imprint called 903. And it was like one after the other. And I became like the go-to guy for helping these labels or artists get distribution deals because that's what I know. Yeah. And so on. And uh, so it was a nice little business. And um, independent labels were having a nice surge here and so on. So that went well um, until until the economy went to hell in yeah. 08, 09. And then somebody, I, I was really contemplating getting out of the business at that point. It's like, yeah. well, okay, I had a nice run. You know, my sister was a very successful, is a very successful real estate agent in Clearwater, Tampa, mm -hmm. St. Pete. I'll teach you how to do it. And, you know, you can go, mm, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't excite me. Somebody said, uh, hey, you should talk to this artist. Um, he's looking for management. I said, I don't want to ruin somebody's career. Right? <laughs> what do I know about management? <laughs> And somebody that uh, that I had worked with for years said, you know, Neil, unofficially, you've been managing artists for years. Yeah. You may not know all the details, but, yeah. you know, you know what you're doing. Okay. I really don't want to screw somebody up. I uh, took on three fairly quickly and uh, very different. And um, none of them worked out. For for different reasons. Yeah. I learned a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah. What to do, what not to do. Um, and um, I go, I like this. I like being more hands-on instead of just being the sales guy at the end of the... The end of the record. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was now involved in everything. And um, then I hooked up with an artist um, who, again, I'll leave nameless, but... Had a great run with him. Uh, came as a recommendation, uh, a referral from a guy in L.A. that used to work for Reprise in the rock division uh, named Bob Divney. And my buddy from Warner here, Gene Dries, and I uh, decided to take this ride, this yeah. journey. Uh, brought him to town, 17 years old, just about to turn 18. Got him out of a really shitty deal without spending more than maybe... $200 to get him out of the deal. Dang. Um, got him signed. I, I took him, we took him to several publishers first because he was a songwriter. Uh, introduced him to Barbara Orbison, who unfortunately is no longer with us. But Barbara, the reason I took him there in addition to the other places we went was that uh, his grandfather, this artist's grandfather, uh, was in Roy's first band. Really? Yeah. And uh, I knew that Barbara, I knew Barbara well enough to know that she loved to connect dots to stuff she may not even know about yeah. you know, with Roy. Took him in there. She wasn't feeling well uh, at the time. Sorry. Um, but um, she wasn't feeling all that well. She was laying on the couch, I remember. But she took the meeting. And, um, you know, you had to be like screened before you went up to the, the oh, yes. suite. Oh, And um, 
he didn't have a guitar with him, but uh, she had somebody bring one up from the publishing floor, and he played left-handed upside down. I'm kind of giving away who mm-hmm. it might be, but he... Um, it's Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, that's it. And Jimmy <laughs> played a few songs, uh, Purple Haze and... Uh, <laughs> And played uh, three songs for her, or two songs for her, and we walked out of there, and, and uh, she called me on my cell phone and asked me to come back up by myself. I went back and says, I want to sign him. And I, my little pea brain started, went to work and went, hmm, if she's that hot about him and this is our first pub meeting, I don't want to sign something too quick because there may be other people interested right. as well. So I said to her, we would love to to be here, but I wouldn't be doing a good job for my client if I didn't look around the market. If you're willing to let me at least look, I promise that I will come back to you before I sign anything. Yeah. I come back down to the car. The artist says, what did, what did she want? I'd say, well, you just got offered a record deal or a a pub deal. He says, you signed it, didn't you? I said, no. (laughs) I, what's wrong with, you know, he he yeah. didn't go crazy. He was like, you know, young kid, just very excited. I said, if she's that excited on this one visit, I guarantee you there'll be other offers. Yeah. And there were. We had three other offers. We ended up going to Orbison because it was the best environment. And he needed a, uh, a an experienced uh, songwriter to mentor him. And it was Tommy Lee James. Oh, yeah. Was and Terry McBride still there, too? Was who? Terry McBride. Yes, Terry yeah. was still there, and uh, they both worked with this young man, yeah. and uh, it was great. And we got signed, uh, we, again, we had two record offers, and we signed with uh, Broken Bow. They had a label called Red Red Bow, oh, yeah. which was a joint uh, joint deal between Red Distribution, Distribution. Yeah. which was the Sony company. And... Um, First two songs went top ten and uh, got them on Brantley Gilbert tour and then on the Tim McGraw tour, and then it ended. Yeah. Uh, as common in this industry, people start squawking in yes. the artist's ears. Everybody, songwriters, uh, friends, parents, <laughs> yes. girlfriends, whatever. And uh, said, "Wow, they did a good job for you." But you know, imagine what you could do with a big management company and yeah. he decided that's what he wanted to do. So that guy still have a record deal? No. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, immensely wh- talented young man. And uh, um, What do um, you see on the on the horizon with everybody canceling tours and everything? I mean, do you have acts that are still going out? Yes. Um, and are they doing anything specific? No meet and greets or any of that kind of stuff? Yeah, the meet and greets are done. Do. Yeah. Um, and I'm working in a lot of different... So just real quick before I go there, um, I've been... My things really evolved. I was mostly all country because that's yeah. where my connections are. That's where I can open doors for an artist. But um, from 2015 or 16, and especially during the uh, onset of COVID, I... Um, not by design, but uh, I ended up in, in several different genres. Yeah. Comedy uh, with Byron Kennedy, who yep. we, we all love, and um, Bluegrass, which has uh, uh, been a, a lot of fun, meeting a lot of new people in each of these new genres. Yeah. Um, 
uh, uh, I have a jam band that I co-manage, and I all my deals are co-management deals okay. with with people that have different skills than I do, right? That I know and trust, and uh, so on. Uh, they might be better in publishing or touring or whatever. Yeah, and um, um, we have a duo from Cayman Islands uh, called High Tide, and um, uh, Seventy-six-year-old blues, white female blues singer, excuse Dang. me, uh, named Tracy Nelson, who used to be part of Tracy Nelson and Mother Earth. Okay, I we that just uh, finalizing her first record deal in twelve years. Wow! And uh, Americana label out in L.A. and it's uh, so I'm having a I'm having a resurgence, an exciting yeah renaissance, I guess you call it, um, and just enjoying. Riding the wave these years, I'm uh, I'm loving what I'm doing. To get back to your point, uh, in the last week alone, we've lost one, two, three shows. One for our jam band uh, called uh, Perpetual Groove. It was a Jackson, Mississippi show, and the mayor uh, shut it down the day before the show. Um, That's where my wife is from. Really? Yeah. And uh, their hospitals are full up. Yes, yeah. uh, the southern U.S. right now yeah. is it's pretty harsh, awful. I'm not going to go into my yeah. thoughts. Okay, um, and unfortunately, one of my country artists, Blaine Howard, who uh, was doing some opening shows for Joe Nichols, uh, a couple of those just got canceled. Oh, they did. Yeah, um, and that was due to where were they? Uh, I'm shocked, but they were in Texas and they got shut down. Mm. And in this case, it wasn't, uh, it was a promoter who just said, I can't in good conscience let this show go on. Uh, And then, of course, you have the big news with Garth and with uh, Florida Georgia Line. And there's more to come, uh, I think, sadly. And um, so we're just taking them day by day and looking at each situation and um, the sad part is, like, I'll take Perpetual Groove in particular. We took last year's tour schedule, and and with our wonderful agent Mark Laurie, um, we ha- we basically redid the whole calendar, like flipped it back. First, it was three months, and it was six months, then, mm. then a year, and almost duplicated the tour a year later. Yeah, and now we're we don't know where we're going to be. In the next few weeks. Uh, I hear Russia's opening up. I'm serious. <laughs> so what's next for you? What haven't I asked you about? What's next? Um, two weddings this year. Nice. Uh, my son got married in May, and uh, my daughter is getting married, if all goes well, um, in four weeks uh, in mid-September. And, uh, you know, I just turned 65. And nice. I'm proud of that every uh, bit of it. Um, you made it. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. I don't have a date in mind, or a month, or even a year in mind of retiring. I don't want to work till I drop. Yeah, and I've seen friends do that. Yep. Um, is it two or three more years? Yeah, probably. Um, looking at two new acts as we speak. <laughs> of course. Um, and um, I'm just, I'm still loving it. We're, awesome. uh, we're getting ready to downsize our home from, you know, the place we've been in for 28 years to a 
uh, condo somewhere out west. Uh, out west Nashville. Nashville, I was going to yeah. say. Are you leaving? <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, I really want to travel uh, yeah. whenever I do get to that. And I've traveled a lot. I've, I've only missed four states so far in uh, all my yeah. years. And uh, they're all... Uh, Montana, Wyoming, and the Dakotas. Oh, man. So I want to get up there. Some pretty uh, country. I love trains. Yeah. So I would love to do a train ride. Uh, there's one that goes from Chicago all the way to, like, Seattle. Yep. And you can buy, like, a ticket where you can get on and off over three weeks or something like that. Oh, man. Uh, I hope they still have that. They used to. And um, it'd be fun to, you know, yeah. stop in various stops along the way and spend a day or two and then Absolutely. get back on the train when it comes. Um, I've never been to Europe. You know, I've been to Australia, okay. um, which I want to go back to. That was fabulous. Yeah. Maybe Didn't, not right now. What's that? Maybe not no, right no, now. No, not right now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went over there for um, CMC Festival. Okay. Which was fabulous. And there were a bunch of the U.S. artists and, and uh, Stormy from uh, Sirius Radio. Yep. The highway uh, was over there. So love him. And then I met all these people in the industry there who I've now remained friends with. And yeah. I have friends over in Australia in the industry. And um, the bass player from my the full circle, the guy that played bass in the band that, and I say I had a band. It was our band. Right. He played bass. He's became a big executive in the hotel business and has been living in Sydney for years. Holy cow. And, uh, you know, I want to go spend some time there. I'd love to go to New Zealand as long as I'm over that far. Boy, that's a long flight. <laughs> that's a long one. And, you know, I want to go to Israel. I want to go to uh, yeah. pretty I want to travel. So my last question. Uh-oh. <laughs> since you uh, lived in Florida for so long. Yes. Do you believe in the skunk ape? In the what? The skunk ape. I don't know what that is. <laughs> It's you like, stumped me. It's like Florida's version of Sasquatch, oh, Sasquatch. or the Loch Ness Monster nah, or something. Uh, no? uh, I, nah. <laughs> um, we used to try, you know, when I was a kid, uh, Interstate 75 goes all the way down the west coast of Florida, and then it goes across okay. Alligator Alley. Oh, yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what they call it. Alligator Over to Tampa? Alley. Well, it wasn't a freeway or, back then. Right. It was a two-lane highway, and... There were no gas stations from the East Coast to the West Coast. Oh, man. So you better make sure you wouldn't run out of gas, because if you had to get out of the car... A lot of gators. There's a lot of gators down yeah. there. And uh, my parents used to say, now you got to go to the bathroom before we leave, Yeah, because we're not stopping. <laughs> and uh, they had the fear of God in me about you know <laughs> alligators and stuff like that. You know, when we did, a lot of times you travel at night, it was just easier, but... If you travel during the day, you'll see them along oh, yeah. the roadway. It's it's crazy. I've seen them. I've never seen the skunk ape. But. Never seen the skunk ape. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, when I was in Jacksonville Beach for the with the circus, um, WAP the ape. Oh yeah. Had uh, what was the guy's name? The DJ that was. He was one of the original shock jocks. That, Man cow. No, it wasn't. Wasn't he down cow. there? He was in, oh, he was in Miami, I think, for a while. Uh, I can't remember his name, but some of the stuff. I mean, that was like early on when shock jocks were really yeah, shock, right? And said stuff that you would just go, "How did he get away with that on here?" Uh, 
don't they have the FCC down here? You know, that kind of thing. But uh, anyway. Neil, thank you, man. Thank you. This is great catching up. Twice in two weeks. This is crazy. I know, I know. People will think we're dating or something. (laughs) Well, stay dry because there's. Uh, I'm going to try. It looks like it's dry for the moment. It's looking up. But uh, thank you. This has been great. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Talk to you soon. Look forward to it.